Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So for the last uh, four weeks, we've been talking about the practice of reimagining. And um, I decided to take one more week uh, here and kind of inside of these ideas um, to sit with all of it because it was a lot of content and a lot of concepts and some of it was dense, uh, like information wise, and some of it was heavy emotionally. And so I thought um, we could just do one more week because I know some of it was familiar to you, but some of it was also new. And so I I wanted to kind of take the chance to summarize it one more time. And some of you were like, I heard it. I'm good. But that's okay. We're going to do it anyway. We're going to summarize it together, kind of recap some of these ideas. Um, and, and then I'll, I'm going to give a, a couple of, of thoughts on how we kind of continue on in these practices. Um, and, and I just, I have been guilty too many times of just like dropping tons of information on you uh, in a 25-minute sermon and then being like, all right, on to the next one. Uh, and so what I don't want to do that, I just, I want to have the chance to at least take one more week and just kind of breathe and sit with all of this. And so we'll kind of recap what we've been through and I'll offer you a a couple uh, of thoughts as we move forward. So here are the four ideas that we have reimagined in in this time. We've reimagined the church. We reimagined the Bible. We reimagined heaven and we reimagined hell. And uh, so in this practice of reimagining the church, we said that we want to reimagine the church as the communion of the saints, not as entertainment for the board. That the church should offer an opportunity for divine union. That too often the church trades sacred oneness with God, that God wants to be with us. And through church, we get this really unique opportunity to experience God. That the church trades divine union for like Christian versions of pop songs and lights and production, right? We want communion of the saints, not entertainment for the board. And the church is a sanctuary for the broken, not a social club for the powerful, right? We can't let the wealthy and the powerful leverage their wealth and power in order to create systems and policies and ideologies that keep the powerful in their powerful places, all while sacrificing the poor and the hurting and the abused. The church is ultimately more hospital than it is leadership academy. We don't need need to train leaders. We need to care for people who are obviously hurting. The, The church is a sanctuary for the broken, not a social club for the powerful. And the church is family for all not an institution to protect some, because in a healthy family, everyone is included. The one is never sacrificed for the many. In a healthy family, having diversity of thought or philosophy or behavior, having a dissenting opinion doesn't exclude you from love or care. In a healthy family, the ends never justify the means, and everyone is protected, everyone is included, everyone is cared for, right? The church should be a family, not an institution, right? So we just said, we want to reimagine the church in this way, as the communion of the saints, as sanctuary for the broken, and as a family for all. And this is language we will continue using over and over and over again, and you'll see it from us, because this is who we want to be as gather, as our community. We don't want to fall into the trap of just seeking power and entertainment, 
that we want to build or grow an institution, right? We don't want to fall into those traps. They're easy. They're tempting, but we, we don't want to fall into that. And then we reimagine the Bible. And uh, we, we said that, you know, it's easy to think of the Bible as either inerrant, like the exact words of God, or just irrelevant, right? And the Bible just becomes kind of a dusty coaster in a guest bedroom. And so what we said is we want to find a middle path for the Bible that says, you know what, the Bible, if we're just honest, the Bible isn't inerrant. It's not. But the Bible doesn't have to be irrelevant either. And I think we should think of the Bible, we should reimagine the Bible as beautiful, mysterious, and sacred. The Bible's beauty, its poetry, and its story, it's much more art and beauty than it is instruction. It's not, the Bible isn't, basic instruction before leaving earth, right? It's an experience. It is art. It is beauty. It's not just supposed to be good for us. It's supposed to be good to us, right? And then the Bible is mysterious, right? The Bible is not very clear about that much. It is a mystery. And some of that is because it's art and poetry, right? It, it It's not supposed to be uh, abundantly clear. It's supposed to be experienced as art and beauty and poetry. It is layered, but all that mystery should make it more engaging, right? It shouldn't make it irrelevant, right? We just keep engaging, right? We acknowledge that there's a story behind the story that we may not totally understand, and we just seek to experience it, not to critique it, not to examine it, not to pat ourselves on the back for solving the puzzle, but just experience the mystery because it is so engaging. And then the, the Bible is sacred. The Bible is an ancient library with dozens of genres of literature written by real people in real places with real problems, written to other real people in other real places with real problems. And the Bible is the story of those real people in real places encountering God and interpreting those encounters. Right? It's largely an oral history passed down and then eventually written down. It's a story about how God deals with people and about how people deal with God. And I believe that it is a sacred narrative compiled and protected by God through time. That in all that mystery, in all that beauty, it is a place where we find God. That the Bible is beautiful, it is mysterious, and it is sacred. And then, after we reimagined, uh, this happened last time too, the last time I talked about the Bible, um, there was tons of sirens, and it just felt like definitely the Baptists were coming for me. Um, but then, after we reimagined the church, and we re reimagined the Bible, we got to the afterlife stuff, and I just want to acknowledge that as we talked about heaven and hell, especially live in person in the room, I could feel in the room that some people uh, were totally like leaning in. They, they were dialed in. They wanted to get this information. And some of you were totally checking out emotionally. And both of those responses are totally okay. I know that it is heavy and these are like high, they're high anxiety conversations. And so if you need to check out, I totally understand. Uh, but we talked about reimagining heaven, uh, not as an escape and not as a reward, but as our inevitable and intended union with God, right? That heaven is ultimately our union with God and it, that union is inevitable and it has always been God's intention. 
We, we talked about heaven being available to us now, that the gate of heaven is everywhere. And that, yeah, life is really hard, like brutally difficult at times, but it is also beautiful. And God is shining through our transparent world. The gate of heaven is everywhere. And if God accepts us and loves us in our living, surely divine policy won't change in our dying. That heaven isn't our escape. It isn't our reward. It is our purpose. It is our destiny. It is our inevitable reality. And that is good news. And then last week we talked about reimagining hell. So um, what a way to end. It was a blast. Uh, And even though many of us learned about hell as eternal divine punishment that everyone deserves, we we talked about reimagining hell by just minimizing it altogether. I think mostly that there is plenty of good biblical and theological arguments for it, but mostly uh, for, for minimizing hell. But we just need to say, let's quit talking about it so much. We need to get we need to unwire our brains from this a little bit. Right? Because the Bible doesn't talk very much about hell, so maybe we shouldn't either. And um and all, all of that might mean for us that we need a new motivator, right? Because hell has been a motivating factor for many of our our faiths, our pra- the way we practice our faith. And so we've just said, you know, maybe if we're minimizing hell in such a drastic way, we might need a new way to motivate our faith and practice. And I think it's probably going to have to be solely motivated by love. Right? That we aren't asking anymore, um, are they going to hell or am I going to hell? Our question now is, am I loving my neighbor as I love myself? Right? We, we need to reimagine hell by not imagining it at all. And um, all of that, is a lot of content. It is heavy and dense. It is a lot of concepts. And um, I just also want to acknowledge that I know that you um, you may not be sure about these ideas. You may be on the fence about any number of them, and that is totally okay. Agreement is not required, and agreement is not the end goal. So I know in some spaces you might hear, well, agreement isn't required, and the subtext is right now. Like we're, uh, we're hoping eventually you'll be convinced. That's not where we are. Agreement is not our end goal. I just think these conversations are worthwhile. And so we're going to keep having them. I just want us to keep having these conversations. So agreement is not the goal. But in all of this, especially over the last four weeks that we've been talking about all of this content, people in and outside of our community have asked me two questions kind of over and over again in this teaching and when we've done other kind of similar uh, teaching and the first question is this, uh, why keep reimagining your faith? Like, the, why not just decide what you believe and be done with it? Which is a good question. And several of you have asked me, like, can we just finally write down what we believe and like stamp it and put it to the side? But, you know, we say every week, I said it just a few minutes ago, we say every week that we want to have an expansive faith because we believe our theological system should always be growing wider and including more. Right? This is the act of reimagining, that we want to keep reimagining, keep expanding again and again and again. And we are doing this. We keep reimagining. We, we don't just stamp our beliefs and put them to the side, because we are actively rejecting, fighting against the rigidity of fundamentalism. 
That's why we are reimagining, because we are actively pushing against the rigidity of fundamentalism. A rigid faith builds a box and puts a set of conclusions inside of that box, a set of conclusions about God and about faith and about spirituality, and everything outside the box is 100% wrong. And anyone who um, has a belief outside of that box of conclusions is 100% wrong. It's zero sum, right and wrong, black and white. And there is no room to change or expand, to grow. If you take one conclusion out of your box and move it outside, then your beliefs are wrong and you're wrong. And so some of us, some of you, have left a kind of conservative fundamentalism, a kind of religious system that put biblical inerrancy as a conclusion in the box, male leadership as one of the conclusions, maybe exclusion of certain groups of people, LGBTQ folks, as a conclusion in the box. And you've left behind that set of conclusions, but it is really easy to keep the box. What I mean is it is really easy to continue just building a wall around our beliefs and say, you know what, I'm no longer a conservative fundamentalist. Now I'm a moderate fundamentalist. And these are my set of conclusions. And anyone outside of that box is 100% wrong. It's a rigid way of thinking. It is fundamentalism. And yeah, we've rejected some um, extreme conservative beliefs, but we can just as easily become moderate fundamentalists, liberal fundamentalists. And so what we are saying is we want to keep reimagining, keep expanding, keep growing over and over and over again so that we never fall into the trap of that rigid fundamentalism again. And ultimately, I believe it is what Jesus was teaching. Jesus begins his ministry in the height of of what's called Second Temple Judaism. And it is a a world where the entire religious system is based on rigidity. It is is almost impossible for us to imagine um, the depth of tradition that Jesus walked into. Right. And, and Jesus shows up here in this culture, in this time, in this religious setting. And his very first sermon in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 is, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And when we think of this word repent, we think of street preachers or sermons about hell. But repentance is a word that simply just means change your mind. And the, the invitation from Jesus here isn't to change our mind about ourselves. The invitation definitely isn't, uh, Jesus isn't preaching to God. He's not saying, God, you need to repent. He's not, he's not saying anything about God needed to change God's mind about us. The invitation is for us to change our minds about God. Jesus says, change your mind about your beliefs about God. That's the very first message. No more rigidity. Jesus' first sermon was reimagine. His first sermon was expand your views of God. This is reimagining and it is expanding and it is changing. All of that is ultimately just the practice of repentance. And so we will keep repenting. We will keep reimagining. We will keep uh, expanding over and over and over again because we are actively pushing against the temptation of rigid fundamentalism. So, So that's why we keep doing it. Right? We don't want to become fundamentalists just with a new set of conclusions inside of our box. And then the other question I get all the time is, again, really fair, is how do you continually reimagine your faith without totally losing your faith? 
So how, how do you keep reimagining without losing it altogether? And right back to our confession of faith, we're able to maintain a strong and vibrant faith by embracing theological minimalism. Right? We're clinging tight to the first things of faith and holding the rest very loosely. And all this reimagining is with the rest. Right? The, the way we, we talk about it a lot is that we want to have a, a trampoline kind of faith, not a brick wall faith. Right? So a lot of us uh, were given a faith that was set up like a brick wall, where each brick represented a belief or a thought or an ideology or a system. And if you pull out one belief, the whole thing crumbles. Right? So of course we have to defend each individual one. Of course they're all equally important. Of course, minimalism is threatening. But our faith works a lot better like a trampoline. In a trampoline, there are springs and there are a mat, and the mat is obviously important to the functioning trampoline. Right? If you lose the mat, you don't really have a trampoline anymore. But the springs, you can take a spring and you can lose it all together, and the mat and the trampoline works just fine. In fact, you can lose like half the springs. The, the springs bend and they flex and they change and they rust and you throw them in the neighbor's yard and you can lose half of them and the trampoline still works. And most of our faith, most of our beliefs, most of all of this ideology should be thought of as a spring, not the mat. That we can look at it, we can examine it, we can think about it, and some of them we can throw to the side, some of them we can put back in in a different place. But ultimately, if you pull it out altogether and lose it, you don't lose your faith. It's not a brick wall. The whole thing doesn't crumble, right? And the mat is the first things of faith, right? That's what we cling to, these things on the mat. And everyone has to decide for themselves what's on their mat. But the mat for me is about who God is. These are the things that for me, that if I find out they're not true anymore, I'm not in on this. And that those things are like, God is good that there is a benevolent God. That is, that's important to me. That, that God is love. That Jesus is God. That God is somehow present in our world. These are things that are on my mat. Do you know what's not on my mat? Uh, biblical inerrancy. It's just not. If I find out either way, it's totally fine with me. It's totally fine with me. Um, the afterlife isn't on my mat anymore because how in the world would we get an answer to that? I, I, I'm not going to approach that with, any, with anything other than humility. And so for me, I have some things on the mat that I cling to. And all the rest of the things I'm willing to reimagine. And again, I think this is the Jesus way. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is being quizzed by the religious elite and they ask him, Matthew 22, verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, I'm sure you know this part, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And Jesus gives us his mat and his springs. Love God and love your neighbor and all the law and prophets, all the other rules, all the other stories, all the other prophecy, they depend on those two things. In other words, if you're not loving God and loving your neighbor, who cares about the rest of it? He gives us a picture of theological minimalism, of a mat and springs. And this is how we continually reimagine and expand. 
by knowing what's on our mat. That we say, these are things that, that I'm not willing to change or mess with right now. And maybe some things need to move from your mat to a spring. But some things need to be moved around. I understand. But we cling tightly to those first things. And then all the rest, we live open-handed and humble. Willing to reconsider, to reimagine, to expand. So for you, how do you feel about this practice of reimagining? We've been talking about it for a few weeks. The practice of changing your mind, of growing, expanding. Does the lack of rigidity make you feel uncomfortable? (laughs) Do you kind of wish we would just write down exactly what we thought and be done with it? And listen, I understand. It's why fundamentalism is so attractive, um, because it makes us feel so safe. That, that set of conclusions inside a box, it protects us. And so how, how do you feel about continually reimagining? And then uh, of these ideas we've, re- we've reimagined, the church, the Bible, heaven, hell, are any of those on your mat that you say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to cling to those. I actually need one of these ideas. This doesn't work for me. If I keep reimagining, that's okay. You get to decide for yourself. And then what needs, what else needs to be reimagined? Surely there's other things for you that you need to reimagine about your faith, about your practice, about systems or ideologies related to your spirituality. What needs to be reimagined? You say, you know, maybe I've been treating this like a thing, uh, like maybe I've been treating all of this like a brick wall. That these are all equally important. If you pull one out, the whole thing crumbles. So maybe I just need to reorganize. We're expanding. We're reimagining. We're changing. But we're doing so with some things that we cling tightly to. You know, in the last five years, I have reimagined so much of my faith. <laughs> in large part, thanks to you and your love and uh, your guidance in our conversations. I've deconstructed, I've decluttered, I've reconstructed, I've rethought, I've reimagined. Some of those beliefs I happily tossed to the side, and some of them I grieved. I've read and I've prayed, and I've thought and I've listened, and eventually I changed my mind on all kinds of things. But even with all of the change, all the transitions, all the grief, all the celebration, all of the uncertainty, I have not changed my mind on this one thing. All of it, all of that, all of this is still worth it for me. Asking the questions is worth it. Being together is worth it. Just trying is worth it. It's still worth it. It's worth my time. It's worth my energy. It's worth my thought. It's worth disagreeing. It's worth changing my mind. It's worth being wrong. It's all worth it. It's worth being uncomfortable. It's worth it just feeling like a mess sometimes. It's worth it. And so hear me today. In this practice of reimagining, I know it's hard, but just hear me. Keep going. Don't give up. Keep moving and changing and shifting. It is worth it. Take one more step away from rigidity and end to discomfort. Move one more thing off your mat. The journey 
of reimagining isn't about becoming more right. It's about finally being free. It's worth it. Wherever it leads you, whatever you find, gather, don't give up. And so this is my prayer for us today. Embrace the practice of reimagining again and again and again, not to tear it all down, but to make room for what really matters. Rejoice and be free. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.